This is the podcast here. <laughs> You're doing a little smile at me, and I know it's working right now. <laughs> Alright, welcome back. We're in 2023. We made it. I don't know what we made, but we made it. Welcome back to the Wages of Cinema. I am Jack, and always with me... Trash Panda Corey. Corey! We finally have Oscar nominees, and we have our favorite movies of the year to talk about. It's always a good time to just talk these things out, because... It's not like we don't already talk about these things off mic. (laughs) But we want to share our thoughts with you, the lovely listeners out there. Um, And so, you know, the Oscar nominees have now been out. You know, you could they've been known for almost a couple weeks now and um, kind of uh, in some ways predictable nominees. In other ways, a, a few little surprises I mean, I don't know, like, looking at the Best Picture nominees, did you see anything that stood out to you as, like, wait, what the fuck's that doing here? Um, I don't think this qualifies as what the fuck. By the way, if you hear any paper rustling, I wrote out all the the nominees, because I'm like, uh, I'm like Mike Staclasa on Red Letter Media. I write everything out. I was surprised Triangle of Sadness got nominated. I don't think it graduates to the level of what the fuck, but that's the only <laughs> nominee looking at the Best Picture race that I didn't see coming. Yeah, yeah, you know, that one, that did stand out to me a little bit. I mean, I know it was, uh, you know, it was the Palme d'Or winner and uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. And, you know, sometimes it works out for Cannes winners, sometimes not. I mean... You know, Parasite being probably the most recent example. Um, but, yeah, I think what maybe why that stands out a little bit is just because, except for, like, Woody Harrelson, there isn't really anyone recognizable in the movie. And I'm not saying you have to have that, because, you know, at least one other movie here has... Actually, I should say there was one person I recognized in the movie I was about to say, but... To just kind of run through the Best Picture nominees, for those who don't know uh, so far, uh, for this upcoming Oscars that are going to be on March 12th, uh, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, um, the new one on Netflix, Um, Avatar, uh, The Way of Water, I I like The Way of Water, like Sprockets. Okay. (laughs) I don't know why I was saying it like that, I just like the... They. I like to add that V sound there. I'm not you're, gonna do it for all these. You're channeling. Are you afraid of the dark, Doctor Vink with a V V V. I was not thinking that actually. I was doing more like Sprockets, which would have made more sense for All Quiet on the Western Front because that's German. But <laughs> I right. don't know what you're talking about. You never watched Sprockets on uh, Saturday Night Live? No, I don't. It was know. one of Mike Myers' characters. I don't know what that is. They're almost gonna do a Sprockets movie. He was like. He did, like, this weird German, like, character. I think he was in, like, a turtleneck sweater or something. Like, he was, like, a parody of, like, avant-garde, full-of-themselves bullshit artists. Okay. And he talked like this to Sprockets. Uh, I'll have to show you Sprockets after this. Anyway. Of Avatar, Way of Water. Banshees of Inisherin. Elvis. El- everything, everywhere, all at once. A.K.A. E.E.A.A.O. Um, the Fablemans. Tar. 
Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, which we just mentioned, and Women Talking. So is this, I forget, has is this the first year with 10 nominees, or did they do 10 like in, what was it, 09 or 010? This is the first year that 10 nominees are required. Now, I'm not saying, I think there are other years where they've had 10, but this is the first year where you have to why, have 10. Do you know why they did the requirement? No. Yeah. And the thing is, too, like, I, I get why it's it's nice to have more nominees, um, but they only do it for picture. I mean, they don't do it for director. They don't do it with the actors. Um, I guess, well, technically in Best Director, uh, the Daniels, um, uh, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schenner, I think is his name, they're nominated together for Everything Ever All at Once. Um, but whenever we look, whenever I look at this list, it's always fairly clear to me, okay, what would be the five that would be officially the ones if we were going back just like 15, 20 years ago and which five would be out? I think I have a sense of what five would be the nominees. Do you have, did you think about this at all? I did. And yeah, you're right. It's usually pretty clear, like, who's the top and who's the bottom. And it's not necessarily, like, correlated, like, oh, the Best Picture nominees are also Best Director nominees. Because sometimes you will you might see a Best Director nom and it's not, you know, the person isn't nominated for Director. I think it's been a while since that's happened, um, or I could be wrong on that. I remember the guy who directed Cold War got nominated. Can you think of any others recently? Uh, no, <laughs> I I'm not Joe Reed. I didn't actually do research. No, <laughs> no, I didn't either. I was just trying to shuffle through. But but my point is, I think here are the five I think that would be the nominees if we were going back to like, you know, pre you know having all these nominees. You know, thank you, Dark Knight. Um, so the nominees I think would the five would have been. Everything Ever All at Once, uh, Banshees of Inisherin, Tar, um, uh, probably all uh, then, maybe, hmm. Uh, honestly, I uh, maybe. Uh, well, did I mention the Fablemans? No. Oh, the Fablemans. So Banshees, Everything Everywhere, Fablemans, Tar. Then oddly enough, I think Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, me too. I think... Even though that wasn't nominated for director, I think Ruben Ostland did Triangle of Sadness. He'd be the one odd man out in the director race. Yeah, I think that out of the two nominees that are like box office phenomenon, you know, Top Gun and Avatar, I think Top Gun would have made it into the Best Picture race. I think that would have been the token big movie. Yeah, yeah, I think they would have given that because they would want, you know, the ratings... I don't think, yeah, I don't think Avatar would get in. Oddly enough, I was, I forgot, like, how many nominations it got. It only got, like, a few for technical, which, thank goodness. <laughs> Definitely wasn't going to get for script. <laughs> Actually, I didn't hate Avatar. And Oh, I forgot to mention, for me, one of the biggest surprises of the Oscar was not, was in the best international feature category. How so? I was so shocked Decision to Leave didn't get nominated. It was not bad shock because, <laughs> as you know, me and Park Chan-wook are over well, and I didn't like the movie, well, but well, I didn't... 
Well, we didn't review that yet, but yeah, we, we've talked about that off mic, how you weren't a fan of the movie. So I'm not upset that it didn't get nominated, but I thought that was a slam dunk. In fact, the movie was so beloved critically and Park Chan-wook is so popular in America. I thought it was possible Decision to Leave might get other nominations besides Best yeah. International Feature. So the fact that that didn't even make it into the foreign film category, which I thought it was a slam dunk to win, really I don't, surprised me. I don't know if I thought it was a slam dunk to win. I did think it would it could have it should it would have been nominated. I mean, the, the foreign nominees um, again, all quiet in the Western Front's there too. Um, Argentina, nineteen eighty five. This French movie, or if it's either French or Belgian, it's called Close. Um, and then, of course, our beloved EO <laughs> uh, from Poland about the donkey and the Quiet Girl. Now, it, that's a list that I don't know. Maybe the, like I the only well, I've seen two of those now, and I've you know all Quiet Western Front and EO. Those other ones, I think, are pretty acclaimed, but you're right that like it. I don't know if it was that competitive a category. I, and I don't know if you could say like, well, decision to leave. It's kind of a genre movie. It's like a murder mystery, but not really. It's you know, but because it's, it's very, it's a very like Hitchcockian movie. You would think like the Academy would go for that. They said, I thought it was a total slam dunk to win that category. Because, for anyone wondering, India really fumbled the bag by not submitting RRR as Did, their nominee. They didn't? No. I didn't I didn't know that. That's oh why God. RRR isn't nominated. Because no. each country has to choose a specific movie to nominate. Now, now I, you listen sometimes to more like podcasts that kind of cover these uh, events than I do. Did India actually submit any movie? And yes. It, okay. I just don't remember what it was. Some okay. movie that I've never heard of. Uh, yeah. I wonder if it's because maybe there's, well, isn't it also that, tr that RRR, by the way, RR did get a nomination in best song. So we will see not to, not to, not to performed live and, you know, I will be so happy to see so many boomers befuddled at, you know, what is this uh, Bollywood nonsense? Although, tech, but the thing is, that leads me to my next point. It technically wasn't Bollywood, right? It was like a Tengulu uh, movie? Yes. So when we watched the Patrick Wilms video on RRR, he mentioned that this is what you would call a Tollywood movie. So it's like a completely different, like, industry. Mm. And I'm not going to pretend I know anything about how India chooses what to nominate for Best International Feature. I literally just heard one person on Twitter say that the whatever body does this in India usually does a bad job of, like, uh, figuring out, like, what movie to nominate. Yeah. And I thought, you know, my understanding, too, is that RRR was, like, really successful there. I thought it was, like, a smash hit. But maybe they had a thing against it. I don't know. Maybe, who knows? Don't but that's that's also surprising, too. Yeah. I Yeah, that category, now the, the thing is, because All Quiet Western Front is in that category, it's going to win. Yeah, obviously, if you have a foreign language film that gets nominated for Best Picture, 
obviously it's going to win Best International. Yeah, it's very rare. Like, again, I didn't do my research on this either. How many movies are nominated also for Best Picture and then don't win for foreign film? Because that when and this actually happened last year with uh, Drive My Car. Yes. And uh, I don't know. Do you think the Academy just, like, did maybe in, in their fuckheadedness, <laughs> pardon my language, but, like, because of Parasite, maybe they thought, well, we shouldn't give it to South Korea so soon. I I legitimately don't understand it because the movie <laughs> seems to be very popular, very acclaimed, and Park Chan-wook is a known quantity yeah. in America. He's made English-language movies starring, like, American actors. Yes. Um, He's had a long and successful career his, in America. His movies have even... Even one of them was remade by... You know, a, st- a major studio. Do not um, speak of it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. You know, I'm not going to break out the hammer. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, maybe secretly there were just there are actually more people like you with your opinion about I it was than say maybe the silent majority it is decision <laughs> to leave is not good. The, actually, the, the great silent majority <laughs> came back. <laughs> Nixon's was right. <laughs> I didn't like the movie, so I I liked it quite a bit. I don't know if it would have been actually if that had been the nominee, it would have been actually my pick, but only because I haven't seen Argentina in nineteen eighty five. Closer, The Quiet Girl. I act I liked EO more than All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, I mean, the other thing that we should also talk about is so, with some of the acting nominees, like. Um, there is, there are a few pleasant little surprises there. Um, for me, I mean, in the supporting category, uh, to see Brian uh, Tyree Henry nominated for Causeway was pretty cool. Um, you know, you've seen him in a lot of things, you know, you probably see him in Atlanta. Um, and for that, and it's funny that, you know, that was probably done as a showcase really for Jennifer, by Jennifer Lawrence. And she got, I think, totally shunned out. (laughs) You're but. the only person who's seen that movie. <laughs> You're the one. That's why. Nobody's seen that movie. No, yeah. That's one of those... It's weird. You have these movies on, you know, Apple TV. And it's like, I sometimes forget, like, what's on there. Apple TV is a black hole. Unless Severance and Ted Lasso are the only thing people yeah. watch. And then, of Apple course, TV. you know, because it was the big deal last year, Coda. Yeah. But uh, we shouldn't even talk about that. <laughs> but then you also had um, in supporting category um, the first time two Asian women uh, were uh, nominated: Hong Chow for the Whale and uh, Stephanie Su for uh, Everything Everywhere. That was really cool. I very happy with both those nominees. Hong Chow. I'm, in my brain, I'm considering this, like, a dual nomination for the menu, <laughs> and... Yeah. It used to be, like, one thing I know about with award shows, like, not the Oscars, but I think, like, what the Golden Globes used to do back in, like, their early years, like, the 60s and 70s, an actor would be nominated, and they'd be nominated for, like, multiple performances that year. She gels. We gel. <laughs> we gel! Yeah, she was uh, she was really good in the whale too. But yeah, she was even better in the menu, which I, is not nominated for any Oscars. You know, I, I think the the Academy just doesn't like cheeseburgers. <laughs> I'm actually 
I don't know. There's a tiny part of me hoping Ray Fiennes might make it in there, even though the menu is really not... As as a supporting? No, as best actor. What is that a leading role, though? I feel like that's... You, you could argue that is supporting. I guess. Or it's like one of those lead supporting things. Then I mean, who would be the lead? Anna Taylor-Joy. Yeah, but who would be, like, the male lead? Nobody? Uh, it's not Nicholas Holt. Mm, no, nah, maybe not. I... I, I, the thing is, Ray Fiennes is the lead, but he's also the lead, like, Hannibal Lecter is a lead. It's like, he could go, even though, I know Anthony Hopkins got leading actor for that, but he, you could argue that's supporting. Yeah, so even though The Menu is very much not an Oscar-type movie, there was a little part of me that was hoping, because Best Actor was considered mm. such a weak category, that maybe Ray Fiennes could sneak in there. Yeah, I mean, like well, we could talk about that, too, because I... Just this week saw my one last the nominee in that that I hadn't seen yet. Um, because in that category, you have there are a couple of people who are locks basically. You know, Brendan Fraser in uh, you know for the whale. Um, you have you know Colin Farrell, uh, Banshees of Inisherin, Austin Butler, um, Elvis, still <laughs> doing that voice. God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, all my words are leaving me. Um, I, I just am so grateful right now. I'm in this room full of my heroes. Brad, I love you. Quinn and I printed out the Pulp Fiction script when I was 12. I cannot believe I'm here right now. Um, I just want to thank the Hollywood Foreign Press for this honor. <laughs> oh, God, you saw the article I sent you where he's, yeah. he's slowly starting to get out of doing the accent, but it's like a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> he's good in the movie but he's been insufferable like since then it's amazing like it, it's like you see he he won like best actor at the golden globes and his acceptance speech it's just like come on guy get over yourself buddy he's good in the movie don't get me wrong but come on yeah and i know that's not his voice because i mean i've seen him do tex watson in uh once upon a time in hollywood but but getting back to what i was doing all right, so we also have uh, Bill Nighy in Living, which was a very good performance. Um, it's really just cool to see him nominated. You can pretend that that's for Notes on a Scandal. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I will pretend every Oscar nomination is for Notes on a Scandal in perpetuity. Which did, like, get nominated at the time. I know, and should have won. Every Oscar was nominated for Justice for Notes on a Scandal. Do you want to fuck me, Barbara? <laughs> uh, that scene's so good. Um, and then the one I saw just a few days ago was uh, After Sun, uh, Paul Mescal. Um, yeah, that's been like the huge critical darling, I think, like for a lot of, uh, in the, you know, it didn't really get that much of a release. I had to kind of trek to New York City to see it. Um, I had kind of a goal in mind to see all the Best Picture nominees and all the main categories so acting script and i think I, I finally got down and he was good i mean you think colin farrell's the luck yes i in the very beginning of the awards season i thought maybe brendan frazier but the thing is people don't like the whale enough as a movie i think it can be colin farrell yeah that's that's the problem as much goodwill as brendan frazier has and you know his acceptance speeches have become like really uh shareable on social media 
because he's just so sincere and you know gives such good speech. Uh, Colin Farrell also gives good speech too, and I think it's. I have a. I think that the Academy ultimately favors consistency over like kind of comeback actors. Generally speaking, again, like Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler, that's another case where I think even though he was great in the movie, not enough people loved the movie for for him to go over the top. Yeah, and I think sometimes there's probably a lot of people in the Academy are going to think in terms of Frasier, the nomination is enough. Yeah. The nomination and the title of Good Press he got, the movie, I think the movie itself is too divisive too. I liked The Whale. I thought it was a good movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I did. I never saw it getting more than that. I mean, it was maybe makeup. I'm, 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 actually, did it get makeup? Hold on, let me double check that. It. Oh, the makeup was really good in that movie. It was, yeah, and that one, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that one got makeup too. So it got three. Um, but you're right. Like it's just, uh, I think yeah, Aronofsky, with the exception of Black Swan, his movies are not necessary like the, the actors sometimes get recognized but other than that it's a little bit of a crapshoot because he's so like big well even we mentioned like when we saw the well we're both big aronofsky stands and when we left the well we were both like this is a good movie but this is his worst movie yeah i mean we didn't do a review for that like we did uh mother which you can go back in our catalog to listen to our group review of that. Um, but yeah, it was a good movie um, that, you know, it's very much like in some ways a filmed play, but, you know, luckily it's a good one. Um, but we had nitpicks that were very much informed by our lives in academia. Yeah, there's some clunky stuff in that script. So even though I like the movie... I don't think the movie itself is good enough to propel Frasier to a win. No. So, yeah, I think it's going to be Colin Farrell. Yeah, I think. And also, too, I think the two surefire wins for Banshees. And we'll t- we'll do a, a longer talk about Banshees in a little bit. Don't worry. Um, our actor and screenplay. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the script for Banshees is just, it's just so magnificent. It's such a sharp script, and it's and it's actually in a good company of nominees though. Like it actually has good competition. Like the other nominees uh, in that are Everything Everywhere, um, Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. You know, like it, the the weakest one of those is Triangle of Sadness, and I, and I like that script uh, a good bit. Um, Mostly for, actually, well, I should talk about Triangle of Sadness for a moment because you haven't seen that movie. And the highlight of that movie is the vomit scene. (laughs) If you've seen the trailer, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, I mean, you watch the trailer and you think the whole movie is going to be on the boat and it's not. Um, And how they, actually, the trailer did a good job of hiding how they are not on the boat anymore. Um but yeah, it's probably the funniest vomit since uh, uh, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that was kind of a fun movie. Is this kind of the year of like Eat the Rich? Yeah, that's definitely I think one of the big themes. Eat the Rich and fuck like 
white supremacists or white people in power yeah. like adjacent because in a sense you could also kind of attach on like the the family tree of that like tar and rrr i think you're the first person making that comparison <laughs> and that's well, why we love your beautiful mind <laughs> well i know tar is not like you know triangle of sadness or or the menu or glass onion um in that way but it is but it is about like you know i have all the power you, you, i'm going to you know keep winning bitches you know and there's an apartment for sale <laughs> apartment for sale we'll talk we'll talk about tar a little bit too um but I, yeah i just it's only popped in my head because rrr deals with all of the british colonial stuff and just how much of a hell they make for all the people there um but uh, uh we we can't we have to talk a little bit about the actress category uh, do we have to really maybe not <laughs> no it's just that well well here's the here's I the only know the, i found the discourse about this so insufferable i do too and the thing is yeah everyone's brought up the whole like what's what's up with andrea riseborough and to leslie I mean, for the record, we watched this movie. It's fine-ish. <laughs> That's my review. It's fine. She's fine. Mark Marin is actually the surprise of that movie. The one that's, to me, like, no one's really talking about how, like, Ana de Armas being nominated for Blonde is a little bit fishier to me. That's the real travesty, because that movie is a war crime and i'm not gonna say her performance is bad but it's not like her performance is particularly good either yeah no it, it, it's it, i it, i finally just hunkered down with blonde i was kind of putting it off and kind of like with avatar the way of water how i was kind of waiting till that got the best picture nominee and i was like okay fine i'll go see this I sat down with Blonde, you know, months after everything about it online, all of the controversy or whatever it was. And yeah, it's just a bloated kind of sloggy mess of a movie. It's a director who's very full of himself, you know, trying to make a statement about <laughs> Marilyn Monroe and the entire cruel world of men who made her life hell. And that's that would be fine if the movie changed up its tone a little bit and, you know, maybe had, like, here was, like, her one happy day. But, like, even, like, the moment where he thinks she's about to have a happy day, like, she's about to, you know, have, like, a meal with friends on a, on a beach with Arthur Miller, it's, like, almost a comical moment in the movie where, like, she, like, trips over, like, a little sand thing and bam, dead baby. Immediate miscarriage. <laughs> and what I loved about this too is the way they like film the blood splatter. I guess you could see it. As I told you, it looked like she was miscarrying out of her navel. Yeah. Because I hate to be really gross about this, but like if you're bleeding heavily out of your vagina, the blood is not going where it's, where it's shown on that. Yeah. <laughs> It's only it's a only slightly less unrealistic than acrimony's miscarriage. 
See, the movie only gives Anna de Armas one note to play, and I guess she plays that note okay, but she should not be within five miles of... No, and I'm not saying, like, she, this This movie also got, like, Razzie nominations, and, you know, and I just, that's a whole other conversation probably, but, you know, the Razzies, you know, we should, we should I don't know if we really need those anymore, it's kind of redundant, but... Yeah, the problem is like she's she absolutely is trying in the movie. Like she is there to really put in like everything she's got. The problem is what she's got to do is you know, like being the the fucking victim and you know, having to you know, be simulating a blowjob for JFK while you make like a Michael Haneke type statement about spectatorship. <laughs> Did you? I forget. Did you watch that scene yes. with me? Oh yes. It, yeah. There's for those who haven't seen the movie. There's a scene where they show Marilyn Monroe's quote encounter with JFK. He's like sitting up in a bed in a back brace, and he at first like makes her like jerk him off. But the movie's NC seventeen. That's it's not as graphic as you'd think, but it is. And then they do such a ter- like. This this is such like film school crap. Like then he kind of forces her down to like blow him. You don't see any dick, but you kind of see part of her face. You hear her narrating like something about spectatorship and the shot pulls back to show her face on a movie screen in front of an audience. And then on top of that, J- the JFK is in like this hotel room watching a TV screen where they're showing like a rocket being shot to the moon. <laughs> Give me a break. The movie's an embarrassment. It's it is wild that this got an Oscar nom. It, it's 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 wild it got an Oscar nomination. You know, and it's like, uh, and, and the, my other thing I was gonna say about her is as much as she was trying, her accent was kind of going all over the place too. I, and I feel bad for saying that, but um, yeah, um. Other than that, I mean, other nominees, uh, in terms of locks, Heike Kwan is going to get supporting actor. Uh, I think it doesn't help that, again, you have both Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keoghan. So they'll split the vote. Yeah, that's going to be one of those split the votes. Just like, I don't know, do you think that could also happen with Everything Everywhere? Like, is there any competition in the supporting actress, like between, like, Jamie Lee Curtis and Angela Bassett? Or is it Bassett? Bassett's got it locked up. Yeah. That one is... Unless if, like, somehow they thought Carrie Condon was really great. And she is great in the movie. But I almost... And the, you know what the funny thing is, too, with, with uh, Black Panther? Do you think that's a nomination specifically for her over the movie? Yeah, I think... Angela Bassett is really excellent in the movie. And I think... Probably members of the Academy are kind of like, man, we've let this go this far and we've never given this woman an Oscar. And correct me if I'm wrong, she only has the one nomination, right? Correct. Prior yeah. nomination from 30 years ago. Yeah. So now, I think there's an element of she's due and if anything, she's overdue. Yeah. And, you know, granted, like, was it the greatest performance of all time as Tina Turner? No, but she was really good in that movie. And she's really just put in the work. 
Um, actually, it's funny. I was just thinking about this um, when I was driving today. I don't know if you ever heard, like, there was some interview with her where she described, like, her kind of, like, skincare or, or, like, beauty care routine in, like, her kind of older age. And it was, it's still in my head is, like, she just described all these things that I can't even, like, put into words, like, what she does to look as amazing as she does. But she hasn't had, like, work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can tell. You can tell she's just a super hot older woman. She doesn't have that, like, busted fake look. She's got the... She's got the Kavorka. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, in those categories, again, I think my predictions, like I said, Colin Farrell, um, Angela Bassett, Hike Kwan... And an actress, that's the only one I'm kind of curious to see what, like, the SAG Awards will give. Because I am leaning towards Michelle Yeoh. Do you buy the whole thing, by the way? Have we talked about this with Michelle Williams? I think she, I think you could, I, I've been seeing all these people saying, oh no, she's supporting, she's supporting. I think she's, you could say she's a lead in the movie. I think you could go either way. I wouldn't have been scandalized if she was in supporting. I'm not scandalized if she's in lead. I think it's really, like, on the line. Yeah, and I don't know if she would have been a lock if she was supporting either, but I'm leaning towards Michelle Yeoh for that just because as much as people will say Kate Blanchett, I think Tar is going to be the one movie to just not win anything. Yeah, I'm leaning towards Michelle Yeoh as well because I agree with you. I think... There's more enthusiasm for the movie in general. And one theme, um, one thing that's kind of like pretty much unprecedented about this year's Oscars is how virtually everyone is a first-time nominee. Yeah. Yeah. And Michelle Yeoh would be a first-time winner, and she's a first-time nominee. So I it, think in keeping with the theme of, you know, fresh talent. Yeah, and also just the fact that in that movie she, you know, you know, has to wear a lot of different hats and is doing so much. And it's not like Kate Blanchett isn't doing a lot in Tar, but she's just playing, like, the one character. Yeah. You know, whereas Michelle Yeoh is... You know, she does, she she kicks ass in that movie. Yeah, even though I think Kate Blanchett is great in Tar, it's an excellent performance, I'll be rooting for Michelle Yeoh, and I think she probably has the edge. Yeah, yeah, that that's probably my pick there with uh, other little locks. I mean, I'm not looking at all the technical categories because we don't have so much time to talk, but like All Quiet on the Western Front, I see that for cinematography. It's like what are the other nominees in cinematography? You've got that all quiet, Bardo. (laughs) That's a movie I still have not watched. I don't have a desire to watch it. God, that's one of those titles that, like, it's one of those, it's like Bardo, a confusing mix of a man in a boxer. It was like it has one of those subtitles uh, or whatever. Then you have Elvis, Empire of Light, and Tar. Maybe maybe Tar could get it there, but I, don't know, I think because All Quiet has more nominees, that's probably going to pick up more. See, I was thinking the only thing that might rival All Quiet would be Elvis. Because if you think a lot of Oscar nominations, when the category is like best whatever, 
the voters interpret that to mean most. Yeah. Whatever. And Elvis, I think, is kind of the flashiest. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm wondering in one category, it's a little bit of a, I'm a little bit of a question mark on is in the writing adapted screenplay category. Because that is All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, Living, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. The Top Gun Maverick nomination, that is wild. I told, and I actually texted you about this, that like one of the writers of Top Gun Maverick that's nominated is this guy, Aaron Kruger, who, you know, his most prestigious credits include Scream 3, the worst Scream movie. Uh, like two or three Transformers movies. Those have writers. And uh, I think he's written a couple other remakes. What a bizarre category. Very strange. It's like, again, it's like he's nominated alongside Kasuo Ishiguro, who's like one of the most acclaimed novelists out there, and Sarah Polly. And then you also have Ryan Johnson. Um no, I, I know. know it didn't get a lot of other nominations, but you think maybe women talking for this one because it's such like a dialogue heavy movie. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, that could be it. It was all waiting to happen before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back, it had been everywhere. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We would be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and terrified. Hope for the unknown is good. Maybe too, uh, for those who don't know, Sarah Polly, like, you know, she's directed a few movies. Um... And this is her first movie in about like nine or ten years because uh, previously she had made um, Away From Her, uh, Take This Waltz, and uh, Stories We Tell. Uh, all movies I frankly think are better than women talking. Oh, for sure. But, like, the, but why she was away for so long, um, if memory serves, she actually had a really serious head injury, like a light fell on her at a party is that right no what it was she was swimming at like a community pool and she was looking through like the lost and found i think and a i think it was a fire extinguisher fell on her head oh my god yeah those those head injuries are no joke i mean so yeah i had read that i think part of it was also you know she has kids but yeah she had a serious concussion yeah and like i said i think there could be a maybe people in the industry no, this is sort of her comeback and might have some sympathy points there. The only thing I wonder will be against her in the category is that even though Women Talking has gotten some like critical plaudits, I don't think a lot of people have seen the movie. Yeah. I don't know. If, and I know that's not always like a knock against a film, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And kind of like The Whale. I don't see a lot of people who are really 
passionate about women talking, who love women talking. I've read a bunch of reviews of it, and I've certainly heard more positive reviews than negative, but I don't see people going out there being like, I love women talking. No, and I think, well, this is a good moment to just take a couple of minutes to talk about the film, because it's not, spoiler, this is not going to be on our either of our top ten lists. Like, women talking is, the more I think about it, the less I'm that thrilled about the film in general. Like, it's, you know, it's a very didactic film, it's, and, and that's not necessarily a problem. You know, like, we love talky movies. You know, I know you love nothing but, like, talk. True. <laughs> it's why we do this podcast. But it, but our problem, and we both kind of, I think, agreed, was the women who are talking over, you know, what, you know, they're in this Mennonite-type community, and there's been all these, you know, rapes, and they are kind of laying out like, their kind of, arguments about whether they should leave whether they should stay whether they should fight these men and the way that like almost almost all the women are talking about this they don't sound organic to the community they're in yeah so i i still like women talking but there are things about it that just don't feel realistic and going ahead to our top 10 list I put a movie on my top 10 list that I think did a really great job of transporting the audience into a very alien culture to like 21st century America. Mm. I put a movie on my top 10 list that does a really good job representing a way of thinking about the world and a way of being in the world that is very, very foreign to how we think about the world. And I don't think the women in like... In real life, the women and women talking, I think, would view the world in a much, in a way that, like, your average viewer really, like, would struggle to understand. Yeah, and I, the thing is, I know, I get the thought that these women, you know, they're, they're so repressed, and yet they want to get out. They, they know that what's going on is so wrong, but it's just, they're... It's, they're just like a touch too eloquent in a way. Like the verbiage makes them seem like they've read a lot and were told very directly and specifically the women are not allowed to read or write. They're kept deliberately ignorant in their society. Yeah. And, you know, with- and, and I'm and and there's like one character you pointed out, Jesse Buckley. She was like the one character who sounded a little more truthful to that environment. Yeah, she, the Jesse Buckley character is my favorite character in the movie because she was the one character who actually said things that are kind of shocking to the sensibilities of the people in the audience. And my thing was, I felt like the way they talked about things was too in line with, like, polite opinion on the issue. Yeah. and uh, Yeah, or maybe if it was, like, Maybe the movie would have had a little bit more drama or suspense for me if, like, it was... Because eventually, like, the characters all come around to the same conclusion what they got to do. I And I know maybe the book was, you know, what it was and they were adapting the book more or less faithfully. But it would have been interesting if one of the characters had just not gone along with it at all. And they, like, were going to stay stick around... Not just the Frances McDormand character, because I know she stays, spoiler, but like if one of the women who are in that meeting 
doesn't go along with it. But yeah. they but they decided to do kind of like a Twelve Angry Men, and you know, I guess Jesse Buckley is kind of like the Lee J. Cobb of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I still liked the movie because there's enough kind of high powered acting in it, but yeah, it's not yeah. it's not a it's not up to par with her other movies. And yeah. there are just parts of it that just really ring false. Yeah, and yeah, and that's why like that's a movie that if you didn't have the ten nominees for picture, I don't think that would have been a best picture nominee. It would have just she would have gotten screenplay and that probably would have been it. Um so yeah, not a bad movie. It's just I it didn't stay with me. It didn't shake me up. You know, when I watched like Take This Waltz or Stories We Tell, those really kind of hit me like in the heart. And this one just, it, it, I could tell she was trying in a way. But also, too, and this was, we knew this from the trailer, that the color palette was just kind of an eyesore. Well, you said from the very first time we saw the trailer, why didn't she just shoot it in black and white? That would have been so much better. I, I don't understand it. I From what I've read, I think she said she wanted to depict a world where all the color was drained out. But if you're going to do that, do black and white. Yeah. I totally understand shooting this movie in black and white. I think it makes sense to have a world without color for this particular story. Yeah. But we have black and white for that. Yeah. I, I, I don't get it for that either. Um... And a couple of the other ones, uh, again, I've, I've the one I just saw today that you haven't seen is uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. That's a movie that that was probably the surprise best picture nominee for me. I, all the other ones, I had a sense more or less that they could have been not. Maybe Triangle of Sadness was slightly surprising too, but All Quiet on the Western Front, that kind of came out of nowhere. Like, I knew that was on Netflix. I knew it was like, oh, there's a new version of that. Okay. And that was a film that I watched uh, and I read the book in, in high school. Uh, and at the time, like that was a, it was, it was a really impressionable book. They also showed us the film and I was finally like, I hadn't really thought about it in a long time. Cause you know, as much as I loved the book and the film when I was back then, I didn't really revisit them. And yet, and so watching this movie and kind of reading a few reviews and getting reminded, it started to come back to me and I realized like, Oh yeah, this movie actually would probably be a lot better if it wasn't called All Quiet on the Western Front. <laughs> it, like it's one of those nomin it's one of those adaptations where they, you know, they they want to show, you know, war. What is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I get it. I know. It was the original title for War and Peace. 
Um, and it's like the problem for me watching it, even just as a movie unto itself, it, what happens in the film is you, you get these, like this, this one guy and a couple a few other characters, these young guys who are basically told you got to go fight for your country. You got to go off to war and we're following them, but we're also cutting away to like the German high command, like the people who are in charge in the government and also this like general and you're seeing it's, it largely takes place um, in like the last week or so of the war, if that, and basically like, how are they going to, you know, arrange like the end of the war and sign the armistice and all that. And I get that the filmmakers, they want to try to create some suspense, like, Oh no, what's going to happen with the characters? Are they going to bite it in the battle? you know, before they sign and they ultimately do something to kind of make the point even more tragic. And yet to me, it was just like, you can do, you know, dramatic irony is a staple in, in cinema. It's been used, you know, countless times. It, it'll, be, it'll be used again in this though. I was just like, I had the song in my head whenever it was happening. It's like, and isn't it ironic? Don't you think it's like, you're you're being too ironic about it. Like there's a character in the movie who, or the two char- these two characters that you think that they're they're out they're out of it. Like okay, they're gonna be safe, and they're like they're walking across a field, and one's like, I can't wait to go back to my wife. You know, you know, I can't wait to see her again. Oh yeah, it's gonna be great. It's like you're doing the thing. You're doing the thing we've seen a million times. It's not. You, now I know this character's got to bite it somehow. The thing that The Simpsons was literally parodying 30 years ago. Or in Black Dynamite. <laughs> Who saw that coming? I mean, where did that come from? Yeah. Where, wait, where was that in The Simpsons? Well, for that, it was not a soldier. It was a guy from the police who was on his last case before retiring. <laughs> yeah, basically that. Yeah. The same fucking thing. Um... It, 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 it lo- it's a and the other thing too that I I mentioned this briefly and like when I posted about this on Lairbox, but I want to expand on it. A problem we've like we keep seeing with the Academy, they have a snobbish attitude towards horror. Like we talked about what could have been like another best actress nominee, if not like Andrea Riseborough or Anna de Armas, and. You know, we cycled through a couple of names. Like we mentioned, uh, um, oh, um, Emily the Criminal. Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, Aubrey Plaza. But, and then, of course, I brought up, you know, as a kind of outside possibility, my, Mia Goth in Pearl. And, of course, you know, as much as some critics really liked that movie and the, it became, you know, Scorsese was championing it, you know, Academy wouldn't go for that because you'd think like, oh, you know, well, it's a horror movie. It's too violent. All Quiet in the Western Front 2022 is like one of the most violent films I've seen in years. It's like sickeningly violent at points. They're just like people being blown up left and right. There's, you know, gunshot wounds that like you see the blood oozing out very deliberately. People's arms are like chopped, you know, sawed off because, you know. You don't want to get like that gangrene, you know, just 
everything you could think of is in it. It's it it, it looked at Saving Private Ryan and was like, huh. <laughs> and I just I don't know. It, it's just odd how the Academy do, doesn't mind vi gruesome violence if it has the patina of you know message. And I mean I don't know where I was going with that, but um, you also said the movie was too long. It's too long in that it's like. You think the movie's going to wrap up, and then it suddenly keeps going on. Like and... the war. Touche. Uh, <laughs> hey, maybe that's true. Um, and the thing is, ultimately, them, the move. I get why the movie wants to have the scenes with the like the German high command, and they're they're negotiating with the French, and all that, and that's interesting history, but. It, it again. It takes up time that we could be spending with our core group of soldiers, and there is there are cup there are some good scenes with them that happens. There's like a scene where like the main character Paul like he reads a letter to the like uh, this other soldier guy who can't read, and it's a letter from his girlfriend, and it's very you know sweet, but then it gets very tragic because they lost a son together, and you know it's like a good moment, but like. There's not enough of that. And then once they've kind of thrust these characters into the horror and madness of the, you know, the World War One trenches, um, it's it, you, I wanted to care more about them and I didn't. So it's like even though the, the movie looks terrific, it's it still didn't like get to me. And that's a problem when you're trying to make this grand statement. I mean, it's like we've now had this movie. We had 1917. I I will contend that Wonder Woman is the best World War One movie <laughs> of the past several years. Um, we should get to our top ten. We should. We should. Um, and one last thing: Avatar: The Way of Water is Avatar: The Way of Water. <laughs> Up now, the nominees for best animated short film. The boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. The flying sailor. Ice merchants. My year of dicks. And an ostrich told me the world is fake and I think I believe it. <laughs> <laughs>